0: So if you would turn to Mark chapter 8, and I want us to begin looking at verse 27 this morning. And I just real quickly want to have this discussion with you, uh, answering this question, who is Jesus to you? Okay, who is Jesus to you? I think there are a whole lot of answers to that question that we can come up with in the world that we live in, that he is a great teacher, that he is a great leader, uh, that he's a good teacher, that he's a prophet, son of God, God. Uh, Many, many answers to that question. But this morning, I want to ask you the question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? What attracts you to Jesus? What compels you to follow Jesus? And in this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 8 and verse 27, we find Jesus and His disciples on the way that went on to villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, He asked them, Who do people say that I am? And that's, I think, the question that we could put out in our culture. And we would find that there is a variety of answers to the question, who is Jesus? People want Jesus to be certain things for them. People want a low commitment Jesus, a low demand Jesus. People want a Jesus who can solve their problems, get them out of all of their issues. Someone that can deliver them and give them freedom. And we are, as Christians, thankful that Jesus is, in fact, all of those things. But I can tell you this, He is not low demand. And He is not low commitment. And He is not simply about bringing deliverance into our lives. He is not simply about setting us free from our issues. He doesn't come only to serve, even though He does come to serve. And I think it's important that when we look at Jesus, that we understand that He is is so much more than just an awesome and wonderful Savior. I want to just address this from Peter's life. This question, who do people say that I am? The disciples as a whole reply in verse 28. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah. Some others say he or one of the prophets. And then Jesus focuses in with the disciples. With those that claim to be his followers. Because this, the, the answer to this question, who is Jesus, do you, is most important for Christ followers. Jesus says, what about you, my inner circle, my twelve? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered. You are the Christ. And if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, he fills in a little more of this dialogue and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ meaning you are the one that we have anticipated from the Old Testament. You are the one that is, and if you, if you go and look at the texts that talk about Palm Sunday, He is the one who is praised as the ultimate deliverer. Oh God save now. Bring your salvation now. That's what Hosanna means as the crowd proclaimed that. The problem, however, is this. Most of the people that were able to confess that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the Deliverer, the one who would sit on the throne of David, most saw Him as a political zealot. Most saw Him as one who would come to bring freedom from the oppressive regime of Rome as the one who would finally cast off the shackles and bring deliverance to his people and a better life. And unfortunately, even Peter, who I believe is probably just a spokesman for the rest of the disciples, saw Jesus as a political deliverer, as one who could set them free. It was his personal take on Christ, which had biblical justification, but it was not the full picture. Peter knew that there was something unique about Jesus. But Peter had a limited view of Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do to Peter is open up the horizon. So that Peter can see that Jesus is more than he ever imagined him to be. Yes, he'll bring freedom from Rome. Yes, he will throw off oppressive governments. Yes, he will bring justice. He will be all of those wonderful things. But he wants his disciples. He wants us to know. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, he wants you to know that he is so much more than one who simply brings freedom. Peter says, verse 29, you are the Christ. Jesus warned him, don't tell anyone. Verse 31, now Jesus goes a little bit further. So we have the Jesus we want. And now Jesus talks about the Jesus we need. And folks, here's the problem. The Jesus we need looks so different than the Jesus we want. And that's where we tend to struggle. The Jesus we need is so much different than the Jesus we want. The Jesus we want is someone who shatters our problem and our pain and sets us free and we just go on and have a good life. But Jesus is more than that. Verse 31. He began to teach them. That the Son of Man, which if you go and look back in the book of Daniel, Son of Man is the title for the Messianic One who will sit on the throne of David and bring liberty and freedom to the nation of Israel. And the disciples are, yes, Son of Man title. We love that. We like Jesus who sets us free. We like Jesus who exhibits power. We like Jesus who in the previous two chapters can feed 4,000 people and 5,000 people, simply counting the men, probably totaling up into the range of about 15,000 people. How many of you wouldn't want to follow a Jesus like that? Who does miracles. Who spontaneous takes a little bit and makes it a lot. It can meet your needs. Who can raise the dead. See, we love a Jesus like that, don't we? He's the one we want, but he goes on to tell them about the Jesus they need. The Son of Man, he says in verse 31, must... And if you circle a word in your Bible, in this text, this is the word I circled in a red ink in my Bible. The Son of Man, the Messiah... The Old Testament anointed one of God must suffer many things. And you can imagine how the disciples feel as they hear this. Not my Messiah. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. That is the establishment will reject this Jesus. And that he must be killed, which must have struck a dagger into the heart of Peter. Peter. And then on the third day rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Why? Because the Jesus that Peter wanted was so different than the Jesus that Peter needed. And it's not that Peter isn't in touch with the sinfulness. In Luke chapter 5 when he's called, we find Jesus coming and giving the miracle of the catch of the fish. And Jesus comes then to the boat with Peter. And what is Peter's response? Well, depart from me. Stay away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But as he gets comfortable with Jesus, he begins to want this deliverer, this freedom fighter. That's the one he wants. But when Jesus begins to unfold who he really is, the disciples back off from it. When Jesus turned... or I'm sorry. When he spoke plainly about this, Peter took him aside, verse 32, and began to rebuke him. And the conversation isn't recorded for us. Peter takes Jesus aside after he talks about the Messiah we need and begins to rebuke him. You can guess as to what he's saying because he's the Son of Man, he's the Messiah, he's the King, he's the one who's come to set Israel free. He's talking about dying. And that his death is a necessity. Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, let me help you out. Have you ever tried to do this with God? Now, let me explain to you how things really should work in my life. Peter pulls Jesus aside. The Jesus he needs, he pulls him aside and says, Lord, just if you're not clear, kings don't die. Kings don't serve. Kings rule. And their friends have a better life as a result of it. And that's the Jesus that Peter wants. He wants the one who... Rules, but the one he needs is one who does something completely contrary to the conventional wisdom of the day. Jesus then turns to Peter, looked at the disciples, and rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Well, you find in the rest of the verse Peter, you have your heart set, on, your mind and heart set on the things that be of men, not the things of God. Peter, you have You have personalized me. You have tried to domesticate me. You want someone who comes into your life and pushes buttons and pulls strings to make life like you want it to be. But Peter, I came to give you something much more amazing than a temporary kingdom on earth. So I can establish that kingdom. But you, as an unrighteous man, can't enter that kingdom. You need my cross work. You need my shed blood to pay the price for your sin. Peter and the disciples, at this point in the storyline of the New Testament, you can tell you're well advanced in the Gospel of Mark here. You're into chapter 9, and he's still telling them the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He must be rejected. He must die. And the disciples are still like, what? They're caught up in this fog that we're caught up in in our lives. We want a Jesus who meets our needs, who solves our problems, who takes care of our issues. But he came, folks, to be so much more. He is the Son of Man. He is the one that God has brought to earth at the time of his first coming to rule. But first he must die and pay the price for our sins. So the Jesus we want comes into conflict with the Jesus we need. And I think the place where that conflict becomes most clear is John chapter 13. I want you to turn there with me real quick. Because you find Peter... Reacting negatively to the idea of the Messiah serving him by death on a cross, when you come to John thirteen, it is the eve of the crucifixion, and it is probably the most awkward set of circumstances that the Messiah put the disciples in at this they're, they're having the Passover meal, verse two, the evening meal was being served, the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. To betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God. And was returning to God. So. Meaning. Jesus knew that the father's plan was well underway. He is sitting at the threshold of his ultimate sacrifice. The son of man must be betrayed. He must die. And on the third day he must rise again. Which we know the disciples didn't hear that part. Why? Because to them the resurrection of a dead man was unthinkable. It was not something that they found to be possible. And in this passage, Jesus knows that all these things are about to happen. Verse 4 begins the awkward situation that involves Peter. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, the robe that would be part of a rabbi's attire. He wrapped a towel around his waist. and You can imagine how the disciples feel at this moment. They were, at this meal, unwilling to do something. They were unwilling to wash each other's feet, right? The Jesus that they need now takes up a towel and takes on the attire of a servant in their presence. And we don't know exactly how the disciples feel, except for one of them. And the one of them tends to be a spokesman for all of them. But he's a little more persistent. He's a little more vocal. A little more willing to express how he really feels about things. Peter's the guy if you went to him, he would give you a straight answer for the question. After taking the towel, Jesus pours water into a basin. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the clothing he's wearing. Okay, which is an astonishing picture of abject humility, sacrifice, and service. Folks, here's the honest truth. That's the Savior I need. I need the one who sets aside the throne, who puts aside the crown, and who is willing to give himself for my benefit, to pay the price for my sin. I need a king who can set me free from my ultimate problem. Not from my temporary problems. Not from my financial problems. Not from my emotional problems. I need a king who can set me free from my eternal problem. And that is that I have offended a holy God. Peter isn't quite so sure about one thing. And that is this. The son of man washing his feet. Now, we know he's uncomfortable with Jesus serving them, right? Because when Jesus talked about going to cross to the cross for their benefit, what did Peter say? Over my dead body. Which is to say what? I will not let you serve me in that way. Peter couldn't tolerate the thought of this glorious Savior going to the cross. What doesn't he understand yet? He doesn't yet understand the depth of his sin. He and the other disciples more than likely feel that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. They're going to Jerusalem and they ask the question, don't they? Are you now going to establish your earthly rule? That's the question they're asking. What is the assumption? We hope you are. Because we're with you. And if you establish your kingdom, we're there, we're in your kingdom. Right? Are they ready to be in a kingdom described in the Old Testament as a kingdom of righteousness? Are they ready for that? Have they come to a place of perfection where they're ready to experience a righteous kingdom? I think they feel like they are. Which means they haven't seen the depth of their sin yet and begged for Christ to serve them by forgiving them. I think that's where they are. And so when I look at this account, John 13, he's washing the feet of the disciples, he's drying their feet with the clothing that he has wrapped around him, Verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter. You can always expect that when Peter comes into the picture, something fascinating and ultimately illuminating is going to take place. Peter said to him, Lord, and I'll paraphrase a little bit in the way this comes out in the original language, Lord, do you think that I'm going to let you wash my feet? It is with some degree of indignance. Peter's like, you've got to be kidding me. The Jesus I want came to serve and, or came to rule. You're trying to serve. And I want you to notice the incredible gentleness of Christ with Peter. Peter first indignant. Jesus is going to express Peter's ignorance. Notice what he says. Verse 7. Jesus replied, Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later, literally, after these things, you will understand. said so Peter, right now, you don't know what it is that I am symbolizing in this water ritual washing. You don't understand what it is that I am doing for you, Peter. But this is necessary, Peter. And notice what happens. No, said Peter, okay. Peter, after this is all done, after tomorrow, after my passion, after my death on the cross, everything will be clear, Peter. Everything will be clear. What does Peter say? No, you shall never, and, and in, in, in the original language, this is the emphatic negative. No, no, you will not wash my feet. The word no appears twice in the original language. And emphatic, I will not let you serve me. Now here's the verse that comes to my mind. Mark 10 and verse 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve. How? By giving his life as a freedom price, a ransom for many. So, what is Peter saying? You cannot serve me. I won't let you serve me. What is Peter ultimately rejecting? He's ultimately rejecting the reason for which Jesus Christ came. The Son of Man, Peter, came to serve, not to be served. And he serves by giving his life a ransom for you, Peter. For you, personally. I want you to notice what happens next. Peter says, oh, I understand that, but no way. I don't want you to be the one who cleanses me. I should be cleansing you. Verse 8, second half. Jesus answered. And you can imagine, the other disciples are like, holy cow, I can't believe he just said that. I can't believe he just rebuked the Son of Man. Because, folks, look, they were getting it that he was God. What they didn't quite get yet was that he had to die. That he must go to Jerusalem, be rejected, betrayed, and killed. That must part was what they struggled with. Jesus lays it on Peter very strong. And you can imagine just the incredible silence now that has settled over the dinner table. Jesus answered, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That's pretty clear. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Peter, I'm not the Jesus you want. Domesticatable, guidable. Make me who you want me to be, the Jesus you want me to be. I am the Jesus of the Old Testament. I am indeed God's appointed Son. I am the Son of Man who sits on a throne and I am the Savior who has come to pay the price for your sin. And if you won't let me serve you, Peter, in that way, you have no part in me. And the word part carries these connotations. You have no, the word is inheritance. You, There is no benefit, Peter, to your relationship with me apart from what? Apart from the cleansing that I bring which is symbolized in the washing of their feet, which is epitomized or emphasized or clarified at the cross of Christ. Does that make sense? Someone asks, who is Jesus too? Well, there is the Jesus I want. But what Jesus is clarifying for Peter is the Jesus he needs. And I don't know how you feel about when Peter comes to full-blown faith in Christ, but I love what verse 9 says here. Here's what Peter says. He says, then, and what's the title he uses? Supreme Ruler, then Lord. Okay, now, think of the picture. Jesus is wrapped in a towel. He's seated at the feet of Peter. He's wanting to wash his feet, and Peter's recoiling and pulling back, saying no. Jesus says, Peter, if you don't let me cleanse you in this ritual, pictorial cleansing, you have no part in me. And I see Peter extending his feet. And extending his hands as Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part. What is Peter's response? Then, Lord, not only my feet, but my head and my hands. Which I think is just tantamount to Peter saying what? Then, Lord, all of me. What is Peter understanding? If we don't let Christ serve us, if we don't let him be who we need him to be, not who we want him to be, we have no part in Him. The glorious part of this picture, to me, is that when you go ahead into the book of First Peter, and you read Peter's understanding of who Jesus is, it becomes glorious. Would you just real quick, turn there with me to the book of First Peter. Okay, real quick to the book of First Peter, three verses that help us to understand who Jesus is. So we see the Jesus we want. We see the Jesus we need the one who dies on Calvary's cross, serving us to pay the price for our sin. And then Peter later now reflects on the person of Christ in three very glorious texts. First Peter 1 and verse 18. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. He says, this is Peter now, okay? He's writing to the church, to those that have been redeemed by the cleansing work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. He now understands. Remember what he said? You don't understand now, Peter, but after these things, after the passion, you will get it clear. The gospel will make Peter so much sense to you that you will be filled with joy. And Peter then becomes one of the writers of the work of Christ on the cross. Verse 18 of 1 Peter 1. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the Precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Okay, who is Jesus? He is the one who shed his blood, Peter later says, to bring you the ultimate cleansing. He's the one who sets you free from your sin. He's the one who pays your full debt. He's the one who pays the ransom and gives you liberty. First Peter two and verse twenty-four. Another statement from Peter about Jesus. And you He's gotta love this in retrospect. Jesus about Peter he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds we have been healed who is Jesus for Peter now Jesus is who Peter needs and Peter expresses thus who Jesus is Folks, here's the very simple way to put it. There is the Jesus you want. I would encourage you to put that aside. I would encourage you to realize that there is a Jesus who is. And the one who is, is the one you desperately need. And if you come to Him, if you know Him and you trust Him and you love Him, He will change your life. First Peter 3 and verse 18 is the last verse. This is one of my favorite verses in sharing the gospel. For Christ, now this is Peter saying this, over my dead body you're going to die. Now Peter's testimony. For Christ died for our sins. For whose, Peter? For mine. For mine. He did it once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. Or the just for the unjust. Why? So that he could bring you to God. So that he could bring you to God. And change your life. Folks, First Peter tells us the Jesus who is. In the Gospels, I learn about the Jesus that Peter wanted. And I also learn about the the Jesus that Peter needed. And when Peter came to realize that cleansing could only come through Christ, preparation to be in the kingdom of God, having a part in God's work in the future, was tied to a relationship with Christ, his cry was this, Lord, then don't only wash my feet, don't do a partial cleansing. Change me completely. Because he saw Who Jesus was. Now, this morning, I just want to close with this thought as a means of encouragement to you. If you, in your Christian experience, experience frustration because you are honest and aware of your imperfections, you're aware of your limitations in an understanding of Christ, and you're saying, Pastor Tim, should I keep going? It's taken me this long. I haven't gotten it clearly. My life hasn't been as radically transformed as I would like it to be. What should I do? Look at Peter. He lived in the personal presence of Christ for three years. And at the end of his experience as Christ, at the end of those three years, he still needs help. He still needs modification. He still needs forgiveness. He still needs change. But in the end, he is a transformed man. Because Jesus for him was his life changer. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I don't know who He is to you today. And you came in here, maybe just a, a good man, a, a knowledgeable teacher, a prophet, just one of, one of the good guys. He is so much more. He's the one who went to the cross to pay the price for your sin. He's the one that wants to change your life forever. And if you've never trusted Him, I, I just want to give you this encouragement this morning. Come to the cross Say to Jesus this morning, Lord, not just my feet. Because maybe you've participated in in religious rituals and and performances and you think, hey, I'm kind of on the page. Jesus wants all of you this morning. He wants all of you. He doesn't want verbal commitment. He wants actual commitment. He wants you to come to Him as, as Lord and Savior of your life today. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?